You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since GGTMC, we are back. I believe this is uh, is this episode 457, maybe? Uh, I do believe so, yeah. My lord, we are getting up there. We are getting old. So the re- <laughs> one of the reasons why I bring that up, that episode 457 is uh, one of the early things me and Will had talked about doing, and by the way, it's just me and Todd this week, Will is busy uh, building decks, painting houses, and uh, all that stuff, so... He's, he'll be in the Irishman later this week, <laughs> later this year, we should say. Um, one one of the things that uh, we talked about, Will and I, was uh, doing Elvis movies at some point, and uh, we didn't do them for a long time. So, which is fine. And then Todd and I got talking, and we thought let's 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 talk about let's just do it. Let's just jump on it. Let's do the pelvis. Let's so, get down on it. Yep. Get down on it. So, so that's what we are doing. We are covering some Elvis movies this week. We're doing Follow That Dream from 1962, directed by Gordon Douglas, and Viva Las Vegas from uh, 1964, directed by George Sidney. So some workmanlike directors and uh, some very uh, Elvis-involved films. One that's pretty, one that's pretty popular, uh, and one that is not as popular. Uh, but it definitely follows the formula that uh, the Elvis movies kind of became their own genre, so to speak. Uh, and it wasn't nothing new. We'll talk about this as we talk about the movies. Uh, you know, music stars and and uh, stuff like that. That, that That's always kind of happened in Hollywood. You know, if you can turn a buck, you can sell a few more records, you can do this, you can do that. I mean, they still do it to this day, really, if you think about it. In some ways, right? They absolutely do. Yes, I would say they absolutely do. Um, making sure that I'm coming through good on these speakers. I feel like I'm not coming through good like I want to come through, but I'm hoping I do. You sound all right to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about the kind of cult personality and all that stuff. So 
there, there's always this kind of element. And the reason why I'm kind of bullshitting through the intro here a little bit is I watched nothing this past week, of course. But also because uh, I find one of the fascinating things about the film world is uh, the kind of cult of personality or the entertainment world in general. I find one of the most fascinating things I've always found is the uh, the the megastar because the megastar is unlike the super, is unlike the movie star. The megastar almost seems untouchable to some degree. But they always seem to have like the farthest fall to mm-hmm. me as well. So, the, well, there, there's there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, okay, so that's all I got to say about that. We'll get into that more as we go. Uh, I haven't watched, like I said, anything except uh, Yellowstone, which I still love and uh, recommend everybody check out that TV show. But Todd, have you watched anything? Uh, a couple of things, uh, literally a couple of things. Uh, did rewatch of. Rome Open City, 1945, Roberto Rossellini. Uh, watched it with the uh, commentary. I can't remember who that was with, but it was. Uh, it's it's really really good. It's I I don't know why. Um. No, oh, what the hell was I going to say? No, it's uh, it's as yeah, it's as good now as it was uh, the first time that I watched it. It's really really interesting. And it was really really interesting to realize it kind of dawned on me. Um just how much like a uh, a normal narrative film it is even though it's really it's you know it's kind of put up as being uh italian neorealist there's i mean there's yeah. obviously sort of documentary neorealist elements to it but isn't that considered the is that considered the first neorealist or is that i or? think uh, i do believe it is either this or bicycle thieves yeah. i think yeah. is um but it's uh, yeah, it's really interesting to look at it because there is a lot of it that's you know very melodramatically done, uh, very you know kind of traditionally handled, and then there are the the handheld elements, the sort of um, you know uh, documentary elements with uh, you know seeing Rome after the war and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, so yeah, really really good movie still is. Uh, so I've started off the the little Rossellini um, set that uh, Criterion put out. Oh, nice. And got the got this one down. Now I just got two more to go, and then uh, moving on from there. Um, and then followed that up with Mr. Neil Jordan's Greta uh, from 2018 with Isabel Huppert, um, Chloe Grace Moretz, Maka Monroe. Um, and this thing, uh, it's pretty much a standard thriller um about this uh, you know this girl who winds up coming into contact with a crazy woman and seeing how that kind of escalates uh but it's uh it's a standard thriller but it's really really well done uh by and large so you know it it kept it keeps your ass on the seat for uh, for the runtime and it moves along pretty nicely mm. uh it, you know it, it doesn't it, it wind up making it winds up making uh, no real logical sense in a lot of ways um, and it's really, I mean, yeah, I was surprised the first time that I heard like the, the super over melodramatic music just kind of crash into the, into the movie that, uh, I was like, wow, that's really, really odd. But cause I wasn't expecting it from, uh, from Jordan, even though, you know, he's, he's uh, not afraid to uh, play in the genre pool in the uh, straight up genre, yeah. uh, pool. So. But it's got great performances in it, uh, yeah. especially from Huppert uh, and uh, Moretz. You know, I'd say m- m- matches her pretty well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I know that the the girls on the uh, uh, the feminine critique are uh, reviewing it this week. 
so if you guys want to hear somebody talk probably a little more uh, coherently or smartly about it, you can uh, go listen to them. Um, yeah. And that, aside from... That poster, yeah. I got to say, for that film of Moretz and the look of, uh, you know, it looks like uh, it, it's a who farted poster. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I would imagine it was Huppert um, who farted. <laughs> but, uh, well, actually, yeah. Well, maybe Stephen Ray, because he shows up in this and he's... He's as hangdog as uh, as he ever has been. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he is a hangdog. <laughs> oh my god, hangdog slash barfly. That's the look. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he's got that look down. He really does. He isn't nailed. Uh, and then other than that, you know, I've just been. Uh, I got one more episode of the boys to go. Um, I got one more episode of the new season of Glow. Uh, I started up uh, the new season of Mindhunter. And uh, you know stuff like that. Oh, I'm yeah, loving yeah. the boys, by the way. Oh, good, good, yeah, yeah. I, I ended up enjoying the whole season, to be honest with you. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I was saying, you know, offline with you, it, it has the virtue of having uh, Elizabeth Shue in it, which yes, you know, huge crush for me. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, that does help, right? So oh, big time. Yeah, yeah. and I was really, I was really a hell of a lot uh, more impressed with Aaron Starr in this than I ever was in Banshee. I don't yeah, know why, but I watched like the first, I think, two episodes of Banshee, and yeah. I, I was just – he put me off for some reason. I couldn't yeah. put my finger on it. He doesn't really – like him doing badass, like you know, like straight-up grim badass guy doesn't really work for me. Yeah. But him doing this where he's kind of winking at the camera and just you know playing to the, uh, the campiness of it, I guess you yeah. could say. He's playing both sides, right? Like he's playing yeah. – he's wearing two different faces in this, and it works for some reason. But in Banshee – which I watched the first season of Banshee, so I can talk about that a little bit. I always had a bit of an issue with him as well. I don't know what it was. It just he didn't work as the um, I don't know the Clint Eastwood or whatever he was supposed to be coming into town. Yeah, he just yeah. didn't quite work. He it was serviceable enough for me to get through the first season, but the whole time I was thinking, eh, I don't know. I'm not really buying it. I'm not really buying it. So the interesting thing about that is, uh, you know, as I started watching the boys, I was like, where have I seen this guy before? Yep. Where have I seen this guy before? I know this guy from somewhere. And so I, uh, you know, immediately go to the Googles and I pull up the IMDb and I'm like, holy shit, it's the guy from Banshee. It's like, well, he's doing a lot, you know, and, he, and I agree with you. He does a lot better job as the Homelander character than he does as the uh, star of the Banshee show. And I know the Banshee show has got a bit of a cult following. I think basically because it's, it's really... Uh, kind of like some type of uh, violent fantasy, right? I mean, a guy comes into town just <laughs> basically just creates all kinds of havoc. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if there's a show ever that was a far reach for actually existing, it might be that show. <laughs> it is. Uh, I think that's part of, the, part of the appeal of the show, though, as well, is that it it's just oh, way over the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, But, you know, he's really good in that. And actually, that was something else I was going to say about the boys, is most of the acting, you would think they would go with um you know the heroes being over the top and stuff but i really like the way they kind of play with the pathos of all the uh the seven quote unquote yeah and uh the issues they have as well because it would well, be I easy love- to be just plain evil in some way yeah 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 well i love what they did with the deep mm-hmm. like every fucking time he tries to save a an animal <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's terrible <laughs> yeah so I'm guessing you got to the dolphin scene. You got to that, too. Yep, and the lobster scene. <laughs> and the lobster scene. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
He's like, no, wait. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah. Yeah, the dolphin thing was, uh, for some, that's probably going to be pretty horrific. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty. Well, but at the same time, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, you yeah, can't laugh at that. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's way over the top, right? I mean, oh my god, yeah, it's way over the top. But yeah, all the uh, the seven characters are pretty interesting. The uh, uh, the speedster character is interesting. I can't remember his name. A train. Uh, A train. Yeah, yeah. He's interesting. Um, the 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 female kind of queen. I, I don't know all the names of these characters right off the top of my head, but the uh, female character she's interesting, and then. Like you said, uh, the deep and all these other characters. I mean, they they give them all their own little bits of, and they, and they don't overdo it. They just kind of give you enough to find them interesting, uh, yeah. without them being just plain bad. Which I th- I, I thought was a really nice touch because I think it would have been easier to go the other way and give the boys themselves, Carl Urban and who, by the way, Carl Urban's really good in the show. Yes, uh, he is. Yeah, he. Re- I I really didn't think he could be the Billy Butcher character because I'd read the first uh, couple graphic novels of the boys. I never read it all, but I read the first couple. I got them actually right here behind me over here on the shelf. Um, I didn't see him as the Billy Butcher character, but now he does pretty good. Uh, he's always done pretty good seething, but he really does some good seething and rage in this. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's uh, he's helped along a lot by that beard. Yeah, the beard does help. That is a full beard. Yeah. That is a James Brolin 1970s beard. Yeah. One thing you said about Carl Urban, I don't know if he's good looking, but he's certainly unique looking. He has a look that I mm-hmm. can't quite explain. It's uh, rugged, but a bit obtuse and kind of uh, strangely angular. And I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he's yeah. Just one of those guys that has a face that the camera, I think, really likes. And I've always kind of liked him, I've never really loved him. Um, thought he was. Uh, I I find him enjoyable. Yeah. I think he's uh, he's I he solid. Was great in Lord of the Rings stuff. I mean, he fits in perfect in that world. But that dread, dread. He's very good. He's yeah, very good. He's as, as much dread as anybody ever could be. There's there'll never be another person as dread as Carl Urban was in that movie. I don't think so. There, that was as uh, dead. Uh, that was maybe. I like Dread. I like the film a lot, but uh, um, I have some issues with it. But I'll say this: that might be one of the purest. Uh, comic book representations of a character I've seen uh, ever um, taken off the page. I mean, because I mean, he probably even talks less than the Dread does in the comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's a uh, one to one on that one. Mm-hmm. I admire the fact that they went that route because um, you know everybody made a big deal out of it at the time, but you know I mean he doesn't take his helmet off, and I think that's well, he never does. I mean, yeah. Joe Dread, Dread doesn't. doesn't he doesn't take right. his fucking helmet off ever. Well, half the time. If you don't know the the art, half the time you got to look at the badge and know if it's dread talking or not. <laughs> yeah, well, he's got that that fucking underbite thing going on that yeah. constant uh, grimace. Yeah, that constant grimace. That's right. He's got to take a dump. Yeah, he's holding it in. <laughs> he's 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 fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Squeak. Yeah, I'd said squeak cheesing, but uh, yeah. <laughs> cheek squeezing. It might be the other way. Isn't it? Squeak cheesing. I like squeak cheesing better, though. I like that a lot. I'm straight squeak cheesing <laughs> over here, man. <laughs> but it is interesting, this kind of world we've come into. I'll just say this to kind of fill out the opening of the show a little bit more. Um, I've known for some time that TV has gotten better at telling its stories because it's where people go to tell stories now because they can gamble a bit more but i gotta say with some of these streaming services and everything else and we've talked about this a little bit off and on on the show 
not all of them are a home run. Not all of them are even a single or a double, but uh, stuff like Mindhunter and things like that that they probably couldn't do on regular television. I think they might be able to get away with Mindhunter. No, not all of Mindhunter. There's some stuff in Mindhunter they clearly couldn't get away with. But these type of shows, it, it's great that they exist because they really feel like the movies that I'm missing being made now. I'm not saying they're not being made. They are still being made, but the, those movies aren't as prevalent as they used to be. Well, yeah, because yeah, because Hollywood is only interested in uh, big CG movies now. Yeah, they only want ten poles. That's all they want, yeah. and everything else goes to television. That's why television has made such a a massive uh, surge in uh, creativity, in creativity, yeah, yeah. in quality, yeah. 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 It really has. So now everything looks like television because we don't have film stock anymore. Yeah, um, it's and uh, and everything just you know it really just depends on who's doing what behind the camera. Although, yeah, I believe Mindhunter shot digitally as well. I, I don't think there's anything not shot digitally anymore. No. There might be, like, the rare bird, well, uh, I think only but certainly not on television. I think there's a couple people who don't shoot digitally, right? I think... Uh, Tarantino. Tarantino, Scorsese, and Spielberg, I don't think, do. Right. Scors- but they also have the, Scorsese the resources might, to though. do that. Yeah, Scorsese, though, he might. He's, he's, ex- he's a bit more experimental than those other two. Tarantino is pretty much being a stickler just because that's what he wants to do and then Spielberg is flat out said he'll never he'll never shoot digital but right. I, I just don't believe that I believe eventually he will but, but Scorsese seems to be the more adventurous of those three well yeah I mean eventually he might not have the choice right I mean eventually uh, yes. the places <laughs> where you can actually get film developed are just gonna go away yeah it's not like I can go out and buy some 8-track tapes right now you know yeah exactly well <laughs> yeah I mean unless you want to go to a flea market or some shit yeah yeah yeah. he can start he can do like they used to do back in the low budget days in the in the old days he can shoot off short ends so he can just yeah. go go yeah, find yeah. a bunch of short ends put them together and <laughs> and he could he could uh, develop the film himself mm-hmm. or something Scorsese via Al Adamson or something <laughs> that would be something. I would die for Scorsese's remake of Billy the Kid versus Dracula. <laughs> I would. I, that, well, that was I would the, love Bill, to see that. Bill Bodine, right? William uh, Bodine. That might have been Bodine, yeah. But that I was would, William One Shot. Well, Bodine, yeah. Either way, I would take it. <laughs> oh yeah, God yeah. Because I think it would be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's actually one of the few of those um, old school exploitation films that I actually enjoy. It's pretty. It's it's, it's not great, but it's. Of, of that genre, the Adamson, Bodine, uh, those one shot, but you know all those guys, those early uh, quote unquote uh, hacks that they called them. You know those guys, which yep, it's yep. funny watching that stuff because those guys aren't clearly aren't hacks, not nearly as badly as they're made out to be. It's like the Ed Wood conversation. Was Ed Wood a bad filmmaker? Yes. Was he the worst filmmaker of all time? Hell no. no. Hell no. no. No, I would agree with that. That's definitely. <laughs> there's way worse out there. Than oh, way worse. All right, we're going to take a short break. Hope you had fun with that little intro. I tried to blow it out to 20 minutes. Almost got there. Can't do anymore. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you can only do so much. That's right. We'll take a short break. We'll come back, and uh, I guess we'll go chronologically. So we'll do Follow That Dream first. Uh, yeah, we'll, that works. We'll be back right after this.
find me someone whose heart is free Someone to look for my dream with me And when I find her Whoa, I'm really cutting the volume down there low There we go That song's short though, <laughs> gotta turn off for the whole song here minute and 38 seconds there for Good the lord uh, well it's it's credit length yeah it's credit length i mean it's just a, it's a short tune yeah a little catchy uh elvis recorded a whole bunch of things which i said you know we'll kind of get into a little bit of that kind of stuff but i heard he was popular at one point he was really popular there for a little while all right so follow that dream one thing i will say about elvis movies um they always make me feel like the world's a safe place uh but yeah, they yeah. also make me feel like Movie posters were just so much fun back then. They're <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, the poster for this is pretty different. Uh, pretty dic- uh, pretty ridiculous. There, I got it out finally. Jesus, <laughs> want to lift Elvis Presley's uh, funniest, happiest. Uh, what does that say? Funniest, happiest, dreamiest motion picture. Follow that dream. Okay, so. A family of ragtag vagabonds sets up a makeshift home on a Florida beach after becoming marooned there, prompting an uptight local bureaucrat to attempt to evict them. So this is like one of the most most ridiculous plots ever. And uh, in some ways, that's what kind of makes this film memorable to me. Uh, the reason why I picked it is I wanted to pick something that was pretty cheesy, um, but at the same time had some GGTMC elements. Now... Most of his films do. Could have picked Kid Galahad, which has Charles Bronson in it. Could have picked um, uh, Charo, which we talked about, uh, which yeah, is kind yeah, of yeah. spaghetti westernish. And I'm not saying we won't ever cover those, but they're there. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of genres they kind of tried to play in a little bit. I know Elvis himself really only loved, uh, I think, Love Me Tender, Charo, and uh, there may have been one other one that he quite enjoyed. But I think Charo was his favorite because that was kind of his uh, his fandom kind of coming through there uh, that he wanted to be in westerns more and unfortunately he didn't get to make a lot and i don't think there's any singing in charo i'm not sure if there is or not i'd have to go back and look at it but, uh anyway most of these movies were made to sell records and uh that's what they did uh they weren't made to change the uh <laughs> to change the world in any way shape or form but they always got some interesting character actors in the movie, and they uh, sometimes would give these workmanlike directors something to do. So, yeah. So I picked this one. I'm going to let you uh, lead on this because I'm sure you probably never saw it. Um, I've seen all the Elvis movies. When I was a kid, my grandmother was a huge Elvis fan, so I had to kind of had to sit through all of it. Uh, some of them I liked and I remembered. Some of them I couldn't remember them if you uh, told me the exact plot and everything about it right now. <laughs> Yeah, sounds about right, and that's kind of the appeal of uh, of Elvis movies. Um, yeah, it's truly a piece of bubble gum. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah chew yeah. it up, spit it out. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so <clears throat> we start this thing off. It's uh, it's sort of uh, plays like the Florida Hillbillies instead of the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're just kind of they're just kind of cruising along. Their car's old and kind of like a jalopy. Uh, they're not very well dressed. Um, yeah, and it's weird because uh, the 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 father uh, who is played by Arthur O'Connell. Yeah, uh, yeah, I believe so. Um, he uh, he's like he's a sponge on the government, uh, and he like he has this really weird. 
uh, sort of theory uh, about that. He's he, you know he's thinking that. Well, he says that uh, he's doing his part. Like the government wants him to sponge off of uh, of them, but then they cut him off. Yeah. Uh, and then he also says things like, um, uh, "Only people run out of money. The government's loaded." So he really doesn't like the government, like at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you've seen that guy. That guy's a very popular character actor from back in the oh day. Oh god, yeah. He's, well, there's a bunch of them in here. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get uh, Simon Oakland a little bit later on. Who. Yeah. I think that's what some of the fun of Elvis movies are, is that it brought a lot of character actors up. Because, you know, obviously he's supposed to be the star. And mm-hmm. maybe sometimes they'll give him a female lead that's either up and coming or established, but mostly they just kind of surround him with character actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then early on we also get, you know, the uh, the uh, superhuman Elvis. He lifts the car up with people in it with a yeah. bad back that was fixed by judo, yes. might I add. Yeah. So you get you get a whole uh, yeah. panoply of... Uh, <laughs> Elvisian elements right there. Yeah, he's a Boom. he's he's a total man child in this, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And they're actually some of the best comedy I think Elvis ever did is probably in this movie because it's subtle compared to some of the other comedy he attempted in other films. Well, yeah, he plays a totally totally fucking uh, straight. It's just like you know he's always talking about. Well, okay, let's talk about this. Uh, he has he talks about sex with his sort of stepsister Holly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he talks about how he's not going to let some chick sinker hooks into him. Um, you know, he's saving it up. So he'll, whenever he gets kind of a, a boner, he starts doing the, uh, he starts doing multiplication tables. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really weird, uh, dynamic going on because obviously, you know, all of these kids are, all of the, 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 the family, so to speak, are not, uh, really related except for. Elvis and uh, and the O'Connell character. Everybody yeah. else is kind of like picked up along the way, yeah. and or cousins or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for it's almost like, it's almost like some of that uh, that uh, incest porn that uh, that everybody likes nowadays. Yeah, um, it's so strange that Elvis kind of he had a couple movies like this where, you know, he had these foster sisters or whatever else or things like that then <laughs> And it, it, it's strange. I mean, of course, it's only strange by today's elements, but it's 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 just a weird plot device they would use. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, that, that comes up there. And I, I was actually kind of taken a bit back by the fact that, I mean, they bring up sex, like, like bluntly. Yeah. In 1962, I, I just didn't... It's kind of like how I feel about a lot of uh, uh, Japanese stuff, you know, mm-hmm. because on the one hand, their society is so regimented and on the other hand they have some of the most most debauched shit yeah you could possibly imagine work hard and that's that's kind of how this is you know like 1962 i'm not expecting people to actually like talk straight out about like sex Mm -hmm. uh but they do it in here i mean they they say it flat out uh and they bring it up a lot and especially when the joanna moore character uh shows up yeah she's a a vixen Yes, she is a coog. A cougar, Um, yeah. 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 (laughs) And I'll tell you what, I'm okay with her. Um, I'm okay with both the female characters in this, actually. They they have the whole Ginger and Marianne element to them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call. Uh, So this is kind of like the story of uh, achieving happiness in the American dream, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, More or less. It's it's not something we see too much of these days because it's it's considered like kitschy. and that's kind of part of the the the, uh, the appeal of it, uh, as well as being you know a, a showcase for Elvis. Uh, it's funny that um, 
to me anyway that you know when Elvis first hit the scene, right? He was a rebel, uh, and today he's considered quaint, and his yeah. pictures, or most of them anyway, are considered that even more so. Yeah, they're almost uh, G-rated in some ways. Yeah. Oh, they're absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but that's that's kind of odd to me uh, because you know uh, you know there there was that whole thing with uh, having to film him from the waist up because you couldn't have them swinging hips yes. on TV uh, and the girls would go nutsy cuckoo and now you know everybody talks about Elvis and he's kind of um, uh, not so much a joke but kind of a joke but he's like I said he's considered quaint he's considered uh, passe yeah no, uh, which yeah. is really really odd really yeah. really odd uh, even in, you know if you talk about um, acts like uh, the Beatles, right? I mean, when they hit, um, nobody really talks about the Beatles in the same way that they talk about Elvis. And part of that is probably because of their whole little, um, their revolutionary phase, so to speak, their hippie phase, right? Yeah, yeah, well, Getting well, more experimental, more political, right. more... I think you can get into that and say, so there's always been that talk of if you're an Elvis guy or a Beatles guy. Right. And I think Elvis was a great cipher for pop culture mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. beatles were i think the difference is the beatles were creatively changing things right and they were actually doing the work whereas elvis not saying he wasn't doing the work but he was more of a i mean he didn't write a whole lot of songs he, he wrote very little he was more just like a cipher for songwriters because his voice was whether you like it or not you got to admit it was unique and kind of a magical voice Right. Well, it's undeniable why he hit the level that he did. Yeah, and he had. I mean, a look, he had uh, everything. Yeah, it's just he's like he's very. I mean, talk about the the shoot the quote unquote shooting star. I mean, it's like the it's like everything just kind of hit all at once. He had the look, he had the sound, he had just enough controversy to draw the teenagers in, and draw the adults away. But some of the older adult women were probably secretly in love with him, and he just had all the elements. He was slightly dangerous, but also slightly apple pie. Yeah, 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 um, and that's yeah, that's really kind of you know, the, like I said, what he, where he comes from, the um, the whole appeal of the man. Um, so you get the highway supervisor, right? And, and then the, the the story becomes you know, kind of government versus the common man. Uh, and you, you know, think about it. So who's right on this? Um, you know, you got the homesteaders have a point, though it feels more political what they're doing with Pa. And uh, his whole thing about hating the government and the highway guy uh, has a point with uh, with the rules and so on. Um, you know, when you and I, I'm probably giving far too much thought to an Elvis movie on this. Um, see what I did? I just downplayed it. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, there's a reason for rules, right? And obviously, these people are not abiding by them, and uh, so you could kind of understand where the highway guy is coming from. Although he goes to certain lengths to kind of make it a little more personal, uh, his uh, his desire to uh, to get rid of the clan, uh, the Quimper clan. <laughs> the Quimper, um, yeah, the Quimper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a last name, man. <laughs> How about it? Um, so yeah, I mean that that occurred to me while I, while I was watching it, uh, and I love that uh, as they're as they're doing stuff. Elvis uh, will use his little like he Jedi mind tricks his uh, his dad yeah. into doing shit. Yeah, uh, you know he tells him that just to do he, it's like everything everything's opposite day. Um, do, 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 what else do I got here? Uh, I think that uh, by and large uh, the movie's pretty sharply written and acted. Um, when it's 
when it's kind of doing its less overtly sentimental or generic moments, uh, it actually, you know, works pretty well. Um, you get, oh, God, the, those, the, the twins with the candy bars. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Okay, I got to talk about this because this, <laughs> I saw the one uh, when he was splitting the, the bar in half. He had his, he's, his hands were like wet and shitty looking. Uh, and this was like oh, the first yeah. scene when he, when he splits the, the candy bar with his brother. And dude, dude, I would never eat anything either one of them touched, <laughs> ever. <laughs> it just looked like he like just pulled his hands out of a toilet and just started fingering up this candy bar, and I was, I was repulsed um, <laughs> by that. So, uh, <laughs> something to watch yeah, out no, for. No, it is true. Days. It is true. There are uh, some pretty gross moments. Oh my god. Hey, you know, uh, I look at that stuff, and, and that reminds me of just you know that they're, they're country bumpkins, so yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they're they're playing up to that. So I think the you know dirty hands and eating and stuff that that's pretty common amongst that. Well, this is almost like gummo bathtub spaghetti level of disgusting for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so of course, you know, you know the 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 bigger things get, the more complicated they get. Uh, when more people start to kind of uh, enter into this little development that they've started here on the side of the road. Um, you get, uh, you know, finally uh, you get the uh, the kind of real antagonist of the piece, which would be Simon Oakland and his little gambling joint, because uh, they're obviously, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're obviously gangsters, right? And they're the most gangstery '60s gangsters that they, you could possibly have. Simon Oakland, of course, you know, for once he's not chasing um, Carl Kolchak around, um, so he uh, he had to set up a gambling den. Um, he's the more, yeah, like I said, he's the more conventional villain of the piece. They actually kind of have like a threat to it. Uh, Elvis becomes the, uh, the sheriff, uh, of the development kind of by default. Uh, and he's as, you know, gormless at that as he is at anything else. Yeah. Um, which it, there's almost some, uh, going back to the, uh, the Ginger and Marianne, uh, reference, there are some Gilligan's Island-esque, um, situations that he gets himself into where it's like, Oh, look at you guys forgot your guns over here. I'm going to hand you your guns. What's this guy doing? Uh, that kind of shit. Um, and as long as you're okay with that sort of thing, then, you know, you'll get along with the movie. Uh, so, yeah, the Joanna Moore character shows up, and she's a, a welfare lady who the highway guy brought in to, uh, to kind of get the uh, the Quimper clan out of there uh, a little bit faster. Um, and she is down to fuck hard. Uh, with Elvis, yeah. uh, to the point that she just you know just lays him down on a blanket uh, and uh, does everything but kind of stick her hands down his pants, um, which that would have been a different movie. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't have wanted to watch that one either, uh, but it is what it is. And uh, that her little uh, her weirdness will, will kind of play in a little bit later on. Um, Elvis is the well. I should say the Elvis character really is a meathead uh, in this. <laughs> yeah. um, but then again, you know this is the sort of movie where a lot of the characters are right. Yeah, yeah. They all um, they all pretty much are some type of meathead. But Elvis, oh, yeah. Elvis's meatheadness is <laughs> I don't know why, but it somehow works for him really well. <laughs> it does. It does. He plays it. Uh, he he plays it. You know exactly like it should. He clearly uh, like said, he, he under yeah. he underplays it. He clearly knew. Uh, some meatheads, or he was in fact a meathead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you could you could uh, make the argument equally uh, either way on that one. Um, so then the whole thing winds up uh, 
transpiring into a classic sappy courtroom finale, uh, which is it, you know plays out as you'd expect it to, um, and that's where the uh, the the Alicia, the welfare lady uh, character, really kind of lets it all hang out when uh, she's doing her little psychology test, and you know obviously she's pissed off that uh, that she couldn't get anywhere with the 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 Mr. Big E. Um, Mr. Elvez, uh, and I mean, th- th- that's kind of the weird thing is that the movie almost does, divides itself up. You got, uh, let's like three sections. You got the first section where the, the highway supervisor guy starts off, you know, kind of in conflict with the family. Then you have the, this middle section with the gangsters in it. Um, and then you have the ending, which is bringing the highway supervisor and all that shit back in. And now it's, you know, a courtroom drama. So it's, it's really weird uh, how it's um, how it's structured, uh, you know. I, and I think that uh, I think that the movie drags a, r- a little bit around the middle, uh, uh, and I think yeah. that it also gets a little too serious and sentimental at the end. Yeah, um, I, I but find the courtroom stuff to be an absolute chore to get oh, through. Oh yeah, oh my yeah, yeah. god! At that point, I, I'm thinking, how much more of this movie do I have to watch? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, like I said, I, I, I do think it gets a little bit too sentimental and sappy and, and weird uh, at the end there. But that's that's also what films like this do, right? I mean, that's this is what movies like this are produced for. Um, to kind of, you know, tug on the heartstrings a little bit, have a good time, you know, see some people in tight clothes or whatever. Um, I think the pacing is what is what brings this one down for me. Um, it's not... It, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't kill it like horridly for me. It's just the whole thing winds up being really, really middle of the road. Outside of the when it's good, it's a lot of fun. Uh, when it's bad, it, like you said, it's it's just a chore. It's just a slog uh, to try and uh, and deal with and get through. Um, and I think that yeah, that's pretty much uh, that's my my opinion overall about this one. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, do, 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 do I got anything else? I do not. I'll kick it over to you. See what uh, what you got on yeah. uh, Follow That Dream. Follow That Dream. Yeah. So one of the interesting things I found watching it this time, I always do this whenever I watch a movie because I always hear you know money being thrown about. So at one point they made $92 with their little fishing venture off yes. the bridge there. That's equivalent to $770 today. God damn. That's good money. That's all right. <laughs> they did all right that day. Yeah. So... If they're, you know, got that little project going, I, cause I always thought to myself, man, they build a lot of stuff really quickly. Yeah. Is it movie magic? And then I thought to myself, well, if, if they are doing that fishing thing every day, then, uh, they could, they could justify that. Now, again, the older person in me now thinks to himself, first of all, that outhouse with indoor plumbing, yeah, it's not going to work out. I mean, that, that's, it's a great, <laughs> it's, it's a great joke though. That keeps playing, right? They keep, they, they stay on that outhouse joke for quite some time. Like the old man's really proud of that toilet. <laughs> That's why they, there's a reason they call it a throne. Yeah, there's 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 always these uh, older men that uh, if they don't have any sexual interest, it's usually a shitting interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's very strange. Um, yeah, we we talked about it a little bit. You know, the Elvis Presley appeal. It's it's un, it's not unexplainable. It's totally explainable, but in a way, it's it's just a phenomenon. So it's kind of yeah. one of those things. Uh, I don't think it really, you know, the Elvis, the Beatles, and really the only other person I can compare uh, off the top of my head would be Michael Jackson during his his climb, uh, sent to stardom. 
Yeah. And, and maybe there's been a few others since then, but well, I think that the, the things like this, when they when they come up and they and they make such a, a massive impact, it's usually because they're completely out of left field, right? And yeah. It's it's yeah. just not. It's completely unexpected. It's when it happens. It's almost like that slap that you get uh, from the initial experience of it almost carries it through. Um, you know, that's kind of when the, when the when things change like that that quickly that that. Um, that instantaneously almost uh-huh, uh-huh. uh it's really where you know this sort of the impact comes from I, I i don't know if i'm explaining this the way that i want to um it it's just yeah it's being caught by surprise and that's that's where where it all comes from right yeah 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 so one of the things that's always been prevalent in elvis movies because they turn these things out very quickly he made 30 mm-hmm. films in i don't know 10 years so he was cranking these things out two or three at a year and uh, there's a lot of uh, projected back screen type stuff, not just from driving, but a lot of times scenes were shot in studios and they would just put a background in there. There's a little bit of it here. There's a hell of a lot more of it in Viva Las Vegas, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But, you know, it keeps the cost down and stuff. And like I said, they were trying to crank these things out. And people weren't going to Elvis movies to see the next great filmmaker or anything like that. They were going to Elvis movies to see Elvis. So you could probably put him in front of anything. You could have put him in front of a blank screen, and people would have been fine with that. Sure, they absolutely would. Have. <clears throat> I mean, his fans would have been anyway, right? So, mm-hmm. so some of the film is shot in Florida. Uh, it clearly shows that Elvis had a he loved Florida. Um, Elvis, I mean, Florida does feel like a very Elvis state. Sorry for anybody that lives in Florida, but <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> it really it does. does. One of the interesting facts I saw on the IMDb trivia was Tom Petty. Uh, his uncle worked on this movie, and Tom Petty met him when he was a kid on this movie. Isn't that strange? <laughs> that's crazy. I didn't know that. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, that's an awesome piece of trivia. He, uh, Tom Petty, it says, Tom Petty claims he first became obsessed with rock and roll after meeting Elvis Presley and watching him act and sing during the making of this movie, which I found just fascinating. I always wonder how they did his singing scenes, because it seems to me like if they would have had to play a record player on the uh, set or he actually just sang songs. I can tell you from being a guitar player, he doesn't always play the same chords that he's supposed to be playing. Sure. Um, and there's moments like that. And then obviously there's, you know, full bands sometimes that for no reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, that's part of the charm of Elvis movies. Part of the charm of Elvis movies is that he'll break into a song for just some random reason. Be it to calm kids down at a playground, be it to get out of a sticky situation yeah i mean that that's when i go to when i put in an elvis movie that's what i'm watching it for i'm really i really well it follows it follows the same rules as any other musical does really it does to you know it's suddenly all like out of the fucking blue somebody feels the 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 (laughs) massive urge to break out into song yeah yeah um you know or or to explain a uh a plot point or or some shit right i mean that's that's yeah. kind of where that stuff comes from yeah and, and that's what you're in it for you're in it for that reason um you're not really in yeah. it for you know the movement of the camera the writing of the screenplay yeah. the way it's yeah, shot yeah. well that's not to say that those things should be neglected but they yeah, shouldn't no be. you're not they you're not be. there you're your ass ain't in the seat yeah. uh, you know to get uh to get um you know casablanca here yeah yeah I mean, what I what I enjoy about this movie, one of the reasons why I chose it, and I, I like it. Obviously, I don't love it because, like, like most Elvis movies, there's a few that I love, but this one I like. 
Uh, it's one of my favorite of the the cheesecake Elvis movies, and and one of the reasons why is because it adds those those elements that I do love. It's got gangsters in it. They're totally cardboard cutout gangsters, but still, they're there. There's some funny uh, kind of riffs on the uh, cowboy in the saloon type moments, like Elvis. He doesn't know what he's really doing, but he kind of knows what he's doing. Yeah, 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 and yeah. You almost get like the idea every now and again that he's he's kind of he's in on it. Yeah, he's playing he's playing dumb more than uh, yeah. More than he's actually done, but then uh, you know, there's a lot more of it that points to, him, like I said, just being a, a total meathead. Well, yeah, and it's there's there's a bit of a screwball comedy element to the movie as well, mm-hmm. with the the uh, love interest, uh, well, or the sexual interest of the other character, not really a love interest, but you know, the love interest of the foster daughter, foster sister, whatever you want to say. There's that. There's this kind of screwballish, and there's a small town element to it as well. There's always, well, I think I always liked about Elvis movies they took place in the Elvis universe. So it's almost like the Marvel Universe, but just with Elvis as a central character. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and uh, they exist in a plane of existence that is not reality in no way, shape, or form. Not just from the songs, but just from the sheer fact that he gets away with as much as he gets away with in movies. <laughs> I mean, he, he essentially almost robs a bank in a funny moment with uh, him holding down Floyd the Barber. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, nowadays, if you did that, of course, you'd probably still, even if you did it by accident, you'd probably go to jail. Uh, you know, Elvis is just a big, dumb country meathead. They're just going to be like, oh, okay, well, you know, he <laughs> let me fish off his bridge, so he's good. You know, so it, it's a silly moments like that. Not, but I found that kind of appealing, honestly. And I think this really kind of comes to the fact that I usually pursue much more serious matter in most of my film watching. Uh, even if it's genre elements and not realistic and totally over the top, like vigilanteism or anything like that, I, I tend to enjoy kind of stark kind of, uh, you know, transgressive or just hit you over the head type of realism in my movie sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice every now and then to go back and watch one of these or one of the Doris Day movies or a Cary Grant screwball. Con- it's nice to go back and look at these occasionally and just remember, you know, some of this stuff was just made to entertain. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. made for any other reason. Nobody ever thought it was going to be at home. I mean, when they made this movie, nobody thought there was going to be VHS. I mean, that, that's I, I often hear that when, uh, especially on the, the Joe Dante Josh Olson podcast. You know, back when people made these movies, nobody thought they'd be around forever. They thought they'd no. make them and they'd be gone. Yep, that's why. Yeah, that's why they had. That's why they would crank them out. To, you know, and especially not just the the studios, but like the uh, the the guys like the PRC uh, monogram, all of that stuff, mm-hmm. just crank this shit out because it's it ain't gonna be here tomorrow. And yeah. you're like, well, just gonna quit, turn a quick buck, almost like a service as opposed to a art form. Sure, and that's how they saw it. And yeah, because it was just a support and or just yeah. No, I get what you're saying. And it, it's interesting to kind of go back and look at films and think that because. That is what the majority, I'd say 85% to 90% of Elvis's filmography is um, exactly that. It's it's just servicing the records, it's servicing the fans, mm-hmm. and it's very little to do with filmmaking. I will say that there are maybe a handful of Elvis movies that are worth a watch uh, if you are a film buff. Um, I've mentioned a couple of them already, um, but yeah, there are there are a few. Uh, and it, uh, Kid Creole is a good one, and um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I mentioned some of them when we were talking back and forth because I used to know them all by heart. The ones I think Kid Galahad's a good one because it's kind of a boxing movie, uh, but it also you know just having Elvis and Charles Bronson on screen together is totally one of those. It's one of those moments where you're just like, what the hell? 
<laughs> this actually happened in real life, you know. <laughs> Elvis Presley and Charles Bronson probably shared a cigarette at some point. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, and that, that I just found that amazing. So I'm looking through his filmography right now. Charo was uh, that was those yeah he was turning out three a year and Charo was uh, the first of 1969, and then he made two other ones after that and then he hung it up. And the last one he played John Carpenter, Doctor John Carpenter, which I always thought was kind of funny. What was that? Change of Habit. Uh, yeah, Change of Habit, the last one. So I'd say the ones that are worth looking at: Love Me Tender, Jailhouse Rock, King Creole. I think I called it Kid Creole because that was like Kid Galahad. Kid Galahad. I think that's one worth watching. And then uh, they really turned into Elvis movies after that. I like Frankie and Johnny quite a bit. Clam bakes fun in a goofy way. They're, I mean, they're they're all kind of. Let's put it this way: I could watch most of them and and not have a problem wasting my time with them. Yeah, no, but you just—that's the thing—is you just got to have that expectation. Yeah, or, or non-expectation. Yes, or, exactly. You know, whatever you care to, to call it. He's got great character names. I'm looking through all of his character names. And first movie's Clint Reno. G.I. Blues, he's Tulsa McLean. It's a great name. And the one that was one of this Pacer uh, Pacer Burton in Flaming Star. <laughs> and of course he's got a great name in uh, I think Viva Las Vegas is Danny something, right? Oh no, it's Lucky. Lucky uh, yeah. Lucky Jackson. <laughs> yep. Which sounds like a race car driver, right? So anyway, uh this this one has a good one though. Toby Quimper's uh that's a good name. It's both slightly emasculating. And uh, very much fits that meatheadness that the character's going for. A um, couple other things. Uh, there's some good old-fashioned country talk from Elvis in this one, which I feel like came from where he's from. Uh, I feel like he really could relate to the character some. He always was his best, I think, on screen when he could be a country boy. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. He, because he was a country boy. Yep. And uh, he comes from poverty. And uh, I think it's another reason why Elvis' story is so fascinating, right? Because he comes from, he comes from nothing. And then he ends up with everything, and then he ends up losing, you know, his life at forty-two. Which, you know, we're older than that now. So think about that. Forty-two—that's young, man. That's young. But by the time he died, his body was well. It's especially young out. for us because we've surpassed it. Yes, right? yes. And then, you know, he had the body of a eighty-year-old man by the time he died because he had ravaged it so much—not just with food, but with drugs and God knows what else. You know, he just. Yeah. But again, it was a different time. It was a time when people didn't know the effects of things. So, you know, it just it is what it is. Um I think for me I enjoy these films because of just the fascination with Elvis. So when I was growing up, I was really into Elvis Presley. My grandmother liked him, and so I in turn liked him as well. But I also liked him because I found him it was one of my first kind of brushes with mortality. It was one of the first realizations I had as a young boy that you're not around forever. Does that make sense? Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then when I was about seven or eight, about the same age as you are, because we are the same age, um, John Lennon got shot, and it was another reminder that you know mortality is 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 always in our face. It's always there. Yeah. And I became very kind of caught up in all that, and uh, have I still have some type of fascination with the. The shooting star, the star that burns out too fast, still have some kind of fascination with self-destruction uh, that I've that I've seen over the years. Not that John Lennon was self-destruction; I mean, he was murdered, but Elvis Presley was clearly self-destruction. Obviously, there were some psychological issues there that caused him to do what he did, and he had some issues. And uh, it's it's a good it's a it's a at this point it's a morality tale 
But it's interesting that, you know, I think that as I get older, the most interesting things I find are some of the crazy stories you hear about Elvis. Like, uh, you know, the uh, uh, there's this one about, I, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but there's this one about him enjoying watching uh, a chimpanzee and a woman in white cotton panties. Uh, not doing anything, but just her kind of talking to the chimpanzee. Evidently, he got off on that kind of thing. Okay. So, yeah. Well, but yeah, but I mean, yeah, but <laughs> hey, <laughs> after teach, that one. Teach their own, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, but I mean, normal is, is boring, right? Who the fuck wants to hear about normal? You, yeah. You get normal every day of your life. You wake up, you punch the clock, you go home, you eat, you go to sleep. That's you know, normal. Yeah. Uh, you know, to to see uh, the insanity that can happen when you're given such free reign, such money, such power, um, is kind of interesting because, you know, it, it just, it, number one, it's a little bit of, you know, playing out that, that sort of vicarious living sort of thing. And the other hand, uh, you can't wait to see the fall, uh, yeah. because, yeah, yeah. you know, you're not them. Yeah. So there's envy there, right? So sure. There absolutely is. Uh, so it's a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B, but it's, I mean, yeah, it's more, it's more interesting to, to read about chimpanzees and white, uh, cotton sure, panties than sure. it is yeah. to, uh, just wake up in your white cotton panties and not have a chimp around at all. Right? Yeah. I mean, I find some of the most fascinating stuff about Elvis is just some of the stories about him being at home, like watching, he loved movies and he'd watch tons of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd, uh, stay up all night, sleep all day. I mean, this little simple things like that. I mean, obviously he had the power to do that. So, you know, I would probably do the same thing. Uh, if I if I had that much money and that much power, I would probably stay up all night, sleep all day, too. What the hell does the day or night cycle mean to anybody? It just, you know, I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I don't have to really report to work. So, anyway, just some of the simple stuff like that. The, you know, obviously the food stories are, have become quiche, after, uh, you know, a bit of a joke since then. But I, I found the food stories fascinating. I mean, I think that food for him was... Just like any other drug, I mean, I think you satiated uh, some type of uh, loneliness that he had uh, being at the top. Uh, I think when you're as popular as these people are, yeah, you can surround yourself with people, and I'm sure he was never want for companionship. But no, I'm sure also that he felt lonely all the time. Well, yeah, because how much can you get out of it when you know the people are only there because you're Elvis? Yeah. And this kind of gets into the darker side of things when I think about the Michael Jackson element, you know, and what his proclivities may or may not have been. Uh, it gets even darker, and it just gets even more disturbing because, you know, again, you're just looking for some type of companionship, and you find it in the sometimes in sordid ways, and it's really just kind of a really a, a total shame in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I mean, I just, you know, I enjoy this movie. It's a little longer than I remember it being. Uh, it is really long. Yeah. It's like almost two hours. Yeah, which is way too long for this kind of movie. Oh, God, yeah. And um, uh, But it's it's family fun. It is family fun, although the sexual stuff is there and it's kind of strange. Yeah, it's really weird. Like I was saying, it's really just odd how blatant it is. Just <laughs> flat out, you know, just talking about getting laid in not, an Elvis movie yeah. in the early 60s. It's just fucking weird. I'm not going to lie. I found the uh, jungle shootout it's really just you know it, it's it, it probably looks like a set but it, it looks like a florida kind of wetlands type area mm-hmm. but that whole thing I, I, there was a couple moments in that where i actually chuckled there's a couple, <laughs> a couple of good jokes in there and there is a couple moments throughout the film where elvis plays dumb that i find pretty funny uh they're they're, they're, they're oh yeah they're a lot jokes. of it works yeah they're good jokes yeah 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 and they really had the fact that he wasn't 
a great actor. He was more just like again a presence, but the the jokes and stuff. Maybe you get the sense that he was well. I mean, from what I understand, around his friends and stuff, he was you know the life of the party. He was a funny guy. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. get the sense that he probably uh, was. You know, he probably liked to have fun. And uh, who, who wouldn't? I mean, he was forty two when he died. He but I mean here he's. Well, I guess what is he? Tw- late twenties, early thirties. Uh, uh, yeah, it would have been the or late the late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. yeah. So you know he's you know he's he's just he's living the life. I mean the guy's basically a king amongst men. So don't tell him what he's doing and just, you know with that much power. But yeah, that's the thing I came away with the most is the the film really does drag in certain spots. I wish there was more kind of gangster stuff. It was. I thought the gangster stuff was kind of some of the most fun stuff. The kind of misunderstandable comedy bits between him and the gangsters is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe some of the most fun in the movie, really. They're like, can you believe this guy? (laughs) (laughs) What is he talking about? (laughs) I can't believe just how stupid he is. (laughs) And uh, it's kind of fun in that way. It's just, it it makes it kind of, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Uh, It makes it uh, very innocent, very silly. Yeah, but yeah, if you are a character actor fan from back in the day, there is uh, quite a few uh, memorable faces, especially from uh, television and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, let's mention uh, Gordon Douglas. Um, yeah, who was never really, never really all that well touted, although he's certainly well known for some of the films that he made. Like uh, most prominent being them, right? Yes. The best of the the Atomic Age uh, movies, um, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's that. He worked a lot with uh, Sinatra. Uh, he did in like Flint. Um, he did the Barcaro. Uh, the evil. He did the Evil Knievel movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did uh, Viva <laughs> Knievel. Yeah, he did a lot of work with um, with the Little Rascals yeah. early on. Yeah. Um, it's Slaughter's Big Ripoff. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, so the, you know, he got he got around. Yeah. He's he, you yeah. know he was a very he's a rock solid filmmaker. Um, and this shows it. I mean, outside of the 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 well, he was the a work- and the length of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, he's a workman. He did the one of Frank Sinatra's best movies, in my opinion, too, The Detective. So. The Detective, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, I mean, he he was a good director. That, that so what's interesting is is again these films kind of come along. I think and these workman like directors. I think they wanted a hit. I think they needed a hit sometimes and. I think I don't know if this movie was a hit, but I would assume it being an Elvis movie, I'm sure it made its money back. I would tend to think that, yeah. Uh, and uh, well, he has a real seductive title in 1951 called "Come Fill the Cup." Ooh. Whoa! <laughs> I don't think it's what we think it is. That but. sounds like a video that uh, somebody may have watched yeah, recently. Like a vinegar Syndrome release. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, infamously too, he actually did. Uh, a film we covered on here, which is really solid, uh, Barcaro. That, like I said, that uh, that's the Lee Van Cleef Warren Oates film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one with the with the uh, the raft or the the yeah. uh, barge. Yep. So I mean, he did some good stuff, and uh, but you would not see really any. I don't think you'd see any. Not that really a lot of his films had this, but I don't think you'd see any real filmmaking flourishes here. This is really this is totally a job, right here. Uh, actually, he did one. I think I want to cover, and I've wanted to cover for some time. Yeah, Chuka, the uh, Rod Taylor, Ernest Borgnine uh, film that I've been wanting to cover for some time. We have never got around to it. So, Gordon Douglas, there you go. Nice. You know, the, 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 a lot of the directors that worked on these films, they did other stuff, and 
Some of it was good. Some of it was not so good. But they weren't all just hacks. They were. He, they tried to surround Elvis with uh, solid screenplays and solid directors. Uh, just eventually, it became more about selling the records than anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's all I got. Let's hear your make or breaks MVTs. Alrighty. Uh, make or break for me is uh, the opening sequence when they start squatting. Um, it gives you the full measure of uh, of what you're going to have with this movie. Um, all in the in the first uh, what five ten minutes. So, um, maybe, uh, the MVT is going to be. I'm going to go with the cast. Uh, I think they all. They all pretty much fit their roles uh, to a T. Uh, they were chosen, you know, for very um, specific needs uh, for the uh, for the picture, and they all they all fit them. So good to go there. Uh, score for me is going to be a six out of ten. It is, uh, yeah. I mean, the pacing and the uh, the pacing on this thing is really what uh, what kind of kills it a bit for me uh, because you really feel that this thing is way over long by the time you hit the courtroom. Uh, and like you were saying, you know, yeah, by then you're just trying to, to get through it, get it done, yeah. uh, and move yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, what was the score again? Sorry. Six, there six out of 10. There you go. All right. And that's, 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 that's fair. Very fair. I, and I'll, you'll, you'll understand where I come from when I say it. My MVT is a Presley, even though I think Douglas does do a great job of, uh, taking care of the story, but it is obviously, um, padded quite a bit mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. kind of a shame um but still um I, I like presley a lot it'd be hard for me not to pick elvis presley in most of these it really would uh and most of these films he stars in i should say my make or break i like that jungle shootout scene i like that scene it's it's a little bit of cat and mouse it's some goofiness uh there's some funny jokes in there and yeah. obviously i like it too because it ramps up the story <laughs> Uh, at that point, I think you've already you, you you started to fall off of it a little bit, mm-hmm. and you're starting to get like you know a little irritated with the fact that it's taken forever to get to its end. But I enjoy that quite a bit. Um, my score for the film a little bit higher than yours, but not much six point five out of ten. Right. I also enjoy it. Um, my point five would probably be mostly based on nostalgia. This is one of the ones I saw the most, and of course I've always enjoyed. Uh, this isn't doesn't fit the bill completely, but you know, one location type movies, mm-hmm. they're kind of fun, and uh, this one is is kind of fun as well. So that's all I got. That's all we got cool, for cool. follow that dream. We're gonna take a break and talk about one that is much more well known uh, for obvious reasons, not just including the soundtrack. And that's Viva Las Vegas. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> Said it gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those stakes up higher. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there. They're all living, the devil may care. And I'm just a devil with love to spare, so beaver. That there were more than 24 hours in the day Even if there were 40 more I wouldn't sleep a minute away oh, Alright, we are back That song's kind of prophetic in a way for Elvis there Wishing there was 
more than 24 hours in a day. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that would explain the uh, use of uppers there. <laughs> wow, I wish there. I can't do that. Peanut butter and banana sandwich. Peanut butter and banana. Yeah, so Elvis. Oh, oh. <laughs> the the uh, Elvis impersonations. We had joked that uh, we hadn't done one yet, but uh, there jumping we go. Right in, both Jump, feet. Jumping right in. That's right. And uh, regretting every second of it. So sorry, <laughs> sorry for your ears. There. <laughs> I used to think I did a pretty good Elvis back in the day. Oh, it's horrible. It's, it, it, all, all, it's, it's so hard to do. It is. Like to do him like actually how he actually was. Yeah. 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 The way you really talk. There was, there was these kind of subtle uh, ways of speaking that he kind of had that I don't think anybody can nail. Like they can nail the, the broad Elvis and, you know, the, the whole, oh, you know, yeah. like I'm thinking, <laughs> they can nail that, but they, it's hard to nail the kind of subtle subtleties that Elvis had and his kind of, uh, you know, Mississippi accent. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. just, they're just, hard to nail and even for somebody who lives in the south uh that's a whole other world mississippi man they forget about it <laughs> it may as well be it may as well be another planet uh compared to where i'm at so anyway viva las vegas 1964 with elvis presley and margaret and a few others which we'll talk about williams demarest in here if you have all people uh yep. But we'll talk about the movie here. Uh, race car driver Lucky Jackson, also slash helicopter pilot, uh, goes to Las Vegas to earn money to pay for a new engine for his motor car. <laughs> Working as a waiter, he still finds the time to court young Rusty Martin. So he got Lucky and Rusty. And, uh, yeah, so this is probably one of Elvis's, I, I would assume, probably one of his most famous Motion pictures? Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, I would argue largely because of where it's set more than anything else. Because yeah. there's, well, that and and Margaret. Um, yes. yes, who's very memorable two, in the movie? Yes. Yeah, being the two drives of the uh, of the appeal of this thing. Yeah, he um, obviously loved Vegas. Uh, ended up performing there quite a bit, um, but you know, Vegas is a great town. Uh, it does feel like you know the song kind of is a hits of the points right because i mean it is a it is a 24-hour town it feels like there's something you can do at any given hour of the day so or night yeah so yeah well i've i've I've, me personally i've never cared for vegas at all yeah yeah i was there one time i was like yeah that's enough for me fuck this interestingly this is the shortest film of elvis presley's career that is weird and it's because even this is like an hour and it's 85 minutes long yeah (laughs) and this is the shortest movie he made so, but it made its money. So, oh, know, God, I, yeah. I mean, it cost a million dollars and it made 10 times that much in return. It made about $10 million. So again, you can see why these movies were turned out. They were, they were moneymakers. So there you go. Uh, okay. So you picked this one. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in here and talk about it a little bit. Uh, so this is probably the one of the ones I've seen the most. Uh, this one was always on television. It seemed like when I was growing up. So, uh, which was an interesting experience because when I used to watch it when I was real little, I never really paid attention to the kind of sultriness of Anne Margaret. Good Lord. And then as I got a little older and would see it on TV, uh, it became very apparent why this might be one of the more popular ones because Anne Margaret <laughs> is, she's a bit of a sex pot in this. That's the best word I can use for it. Uh, yeah. She's yeah. very, like I said, sultry, very, she well, oozed that. She was just one of those that's, actresses. That's that exactly that. the word that I used. Yeah. Uh, she's oozing sex, and her yeah. outfits leave absolutely nothing to the imagination. Yeah. 
and the way she dances, the way she moves, you know, yep. she's yep. in some ways she's almost she was almost like the female Elvis, you know, with the shaking hips and and everything. Yep. So it seemed like a match made in heaven as far as box office goes, and it seems to have worked for him quite well. Well, I love it. I, you know, speaking of how she moves and all that, every time that Elvis does one of his little performances there, she just happens to be standing up front, losing her shit for him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's like she's wiggling and and screaming like uh like any other like little an orgasm. Yeah. Would. Like an orgasm, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It gets down to that weird kind of cult thing that we talked about, where you know females would throw panties at Elvis. Uh, Tom Jones is another one they threw panties at. Yep. Yep. Uh, Billy Crash Craddock. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but that's a bit uh that that that's a bit of a reach. But they would throw panties at him. There's this these these male stars that oozed sexuality, and this I think you're getting the double whammy. I think you're getting yeah. Uh, and Margaret, and you're getting Elvis Presley, and you're getting Elvis Presley with some of his most uh, slick hair. I mean, this one's got some of. Ooh, man, he's really got that stuff greased up here. Uh, it's it's perfectly quaffed in some ways. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it's it's always bizarre to see Elvis when his hair isn't really like this. So when he falls in the pool at one point, his hair is uh, kind of down. It's not uh, that pompadour look or that kind of uh, pumped up look that the ducktail look that he kind of wore, and so it looks really strange. Uh, mm-hmm. to see the uh, the hair all kind of falling down and stuff because you had to wear it long to kind of comb it like that, uh, which is considered long back then, not long now. Uh, this was, though, I believe Elvis's biggest movie. I believe Evil Las Vegas was the biggest one, and I do believe it was because of the casting, and I believe it's also because of the fact that Vegas, this is still a time period when not everybody hops on a train and travels. Uh, or hops on a train, a plane, and travels. Man, I hope nobody's really hopping on a train to go to Vegas. But hey, Spencer Tracy will meet you there. The uh, <laughs> and the harmonica guy, he'll they'll, they'll meet you there by train. Uh, but anyway, I mean, people are traveling, but not nearly as much as they probably would now. I mean, nowadays you can, you know, you can go to Vegas for sixty, seventy, eighty bucks in some areas, and just fly there real quick and come back in a couple of days. Um, but the, well, it wasn't really that kind of thinking as much back then. A lot of people drove cars still and would drive down, I guess, Route 66 or something maybe and and drive all the way to Vegas. Uh, it just might, and maybe I'm wrong about that uh, traffic uh, designation, so forgive me, but there's this part of me that wants to believe you can hop on Route 66 and drive right to Vegas. Uh, I, I think, well. I don't know. I, I'm sure, well, you're heading that way. Yeah. Let's put it yeah. that way. You're heading west. <laughs> you end up in Santa Monica, I believe. If you hit it in the south and you, you hit, or in Chicago, I think, around the Illinois area, if you hit 66 there, and it'll take you all the way to California. So, I don't know. I could be wrong. Could be right. Who gives a shit? We're talking about Elvis. Hell, man. <laughs> 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 <There you> are. <laughs> oh. Oh, Sammy. <laughs> oh, Sammy. <laughs> Scotty, DJ. Yeah. Whew. Anyway, uh, <laughs> probably the most uh, fun you are going to have in an Elvis movie in some ways is the kind of cat and mouse that Anne-Margaret and Elvis play in this movie. It's, it's, it is kind of fun in that romantic comedy, screwball comedy kind of way. Um, and it adds a third wheel in here with the Cesar DeNova, I believe is the actor's name, character. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who's in the movie? And I can't remember what else I've seen him in. I'm always remembering from this movie, Cesar or Cesar. I gotta believe we saw him in something else. Well, according to this, let's see. Uh, he was in Animal House. 
uh, Mean Streets. Oh, yeah, he was in Animal House. I remember him in Animal House. Tentacles? Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. So yeah, we definitely, yeah, yeah. we've definitely seen him before, right? Yeah. Quite a bit of stuff. Might not uh, necessarily... A lot, of, lot of TV, a lot of TV growing up. Probably is where I saw him: Sanford and Son, Police Story, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chico and the Man. I mean, there's a lot of these things were on TV. Barnaby Jones, he did an episode of that. Trapper John, MD, Love Boat. He's on an episode of The Fall Guy. There you go. I mean, pretty much every TV show that we grew up with. Hunter, yeah, there you go. He say he's pretty much on everything. But I don't know what he would have been most known for. But it seems to me like this film would have been the one he was most known for. Um, more than any other. I'm looking actually through his trivia right now to see if there's anything else. Uh, not really seeing anything. But a dashing, handsome, uh, good-looking sure. man, great voice, right? Sure, so, sure. Uh, well, he's the, you know he play, he basically is aside from being a, a rival um, a race car driver, he's uh, he's also you know kind of the. Uh, the oily Italian guy cock blocking uh, the king, right? Yes, yes. Or does he? Right? Or does he? Kinda... It seems like he's kind of helping. In some yeah, way, he's sometimes. he's 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 a little he's playing both sides on this one, you know. Yeah. So so you kind of get that the you know the race is on uh, for Anne Margaret and the Grand Prix, right? Well, yeah. What's interesting is his character and Lucky's character and Anne Margaret's character. They almost have this understanding that yes. she's going to date both of them. And of course, this is a world where nobody has premarital sex, right? Uh, and so it's all innocent and stuff. And uh, actually, one of the funniest bits in this movie is the dinner scene. Uh, that's one of the best bits in the movie with the uh, the bumbling uh, mechanic that works with Lucky. Uh, Shorty is that his name? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Lucky Shorty Rusty. <laughs> Trombone. <laughs> And then, of course, Cesar, Cesar's character, his name is Count Elmo Mancini. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> and then you get William Demarest in here as uh, the the father of the yeah. Anne Margaret character. And William Demarest. Now, I got, okay. You've seen him Demarest, in something. You know, oh, you've seen him in a lot. <laughs> uh, most, well, most people would first off probably recognize him from My Three Sons. But yes. um, he was, you know, he shows up in this and he is so excruciatingly restrained. Yeah. <laughs> uh it's not it's it's really it was almost kind of painful. It is. Um cuz he's a long way from Preston Sturgis right now. Yes. <laughs> uh with the with the when he when he shows up here. I mean it's just he's just a flat out, you know, straight-laced uh normal old uh, father guy, father character in this. He's yeah. nothing more. He doesn't really I mean I think he gets like one one good line when he's talking to the to the uh, the tree. Um, <laughs> yeah, that lucky yeah. uh, that uh, lucky sends to to Rusty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in fun in fun nature, this is one of those kind of movies where you can kind of go back and look at it and kind of have some fun. So at one point, one of the dancers, one of the dancers is Tony Basil. Yeah, uh, yeah. And one of the dancers uh, to get it back to Al Adamson is actually Regina Carroll. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so oddly, and one of them is actually Terry Gar as well. It's it's that really is. strange uh, to go back and look at some of this stuff and and see that you know these up and comers right you get you get you gotta get work where you can get it. I'm looking through the film man. There's a lot of people in this movie that would go on and do a few things. Um, yeah, I'm, my internet's running slow. Sorry guys. Uh, Bert Stevens. I feel like I know Bert Stevens from something. Did 460 credits, <laughs> so I certainly know him from something. Jesus. 
And so again, surrounded by character actors. That's uh, that's what they do with Elvis Presley. And uh, so you see a lot of faces and people you know, even though you probably never saw them, um, or they never really had meaty parts. They had the face, right? So good stuff. The film itself is very simple. It's basically. Well, it's a race car movie. Elvis did uh, two or three of these. Uh, I don't know if he actually liked driving cars fast, like Steve McQueen or Paul Newman, but I think he thought I think he liked the idea that he did. Mm-hmm. It made him look cool, you know. Uh, so that's essentially what we got here, and uh, it, that really doesn't matter much to the movie. You would think it, it does. Really doesn't. Yeah, you mm-hmm. would think it does, but it matters more in one of his later movies, I think, called Spin Out. Yeah. Um. But this one, it doesn't really matter much at all. It's just kind of there. Eventually, it plays a part in the movie. But, I mean, it literally plays a part in the movie like the last 10 to 5 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Like way down there. Um, interestingly, the guy that played Shorty, he was in uh, Rocky Five. I remember him in Rocky Five. He was a fight promoter in Rocky Five. Hmm. Uh, well, I'll say this about thinking, that. I don't wow. think he's made very good use of his comic relief in this one. No, 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 no. It's funny, he worked with uh, De Niro on A Bronx Tale. I'm looking through his filmography now. He's in The Godfather Part 3. So yeah, he did some stuff. Uh, hmm. But you have to kind of go back and look at it, because I bet he's doing it really broad here, right? So. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, interesting. Uh, the dinner scene, like I said, one of the best bits. The, the Lady Loves Me scene is uh, one of the most memorable ones. I gotta say, watching it this time, I don't know if I love Anne Margaret's singing voice. Uh well, yeah, feels, she was uh, feels a little nasally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very. Yeah. The gentleman has yep. a fell. <laughs> you can do your Elvis. I'll do my Anne Margaret over here. I could work with this arrangement. <laughs> it's just, it, it was. <laughs> She just has that singing voice, and it's like the whole yeah. time I was, I was grinding my teeth a little bit. I was like, "Oh God, shut up!" <laughs> but, but this one, I think, what this one does have is it has some of Elvis's most memorable scenes. So it has that scene, which I think plays really well. It has the dinner scene. It has the dance-off scene between her and uh, him on the stage when she's doing the dance uh, lessons, uh, mm-hmm. which is a great memorable scene. And it just it just has moments, but there's also. Unfortunately, with this movie, one of the things that drives me the craziest with this one is there's a ton of filler that is just tourist filmmaking. Yes. And it drives me absolutely up a wall. Yep. I mean, talk about, I would say it grinds the movie more to a halt to me than the courtroom scene Follow That Dream. Like, it just, it bothered me so much. Now, the reason why I brought up the, the stuff earlier about Tony Basil, Terry Garr, and Regina Carroll is that's about the only fun you can have in those moments is go back and look at that. But good luck in finding some of those people because it's a blink and you'll miss them type moment. I mean, you probably have to go online to find out who, the, who they really are and where they are. Yeah. 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 Because I, even going back and looking at it this time, I was like, I'm going to find Terry Gar this time. And I still didn't find her. So evidently she's in there somewhere, but hmm. this movie is, I'd say out of all of his films, maybe some of the most breezy fun. Uh, because it's playing to all the Elvis kind of stereotypes, even though he didn't know it at the time. Right. But it's kind of playing to all the stereotypes. He's very masculine. He drives cars. He flies helicopters. He wears suits. He dances uh, whatever club he goes to. Somebody hands him a guitar. He's got a song. It really does play to the old, uh, you know, the, the, the Elvis stereotype big time. 
Well, yeah, this is, you know, this is, um, this is much more than follow that dream. Uh, what people think of as an Elvis movie, it's, yes. you know, it, it's slick, it's simple. Uh, it requires nothing of the audience other than a tolerance for smarm and uh, swagger. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, this is, this is, uh, 100% what Eddie Murphy, uh, said Elvis movies are like. Yes. This is that movie. Yes. This is if you ever seen if you've ever seen Eddie Murphy do his uh, his Elvis impression of Elvis movies. This is that yes. absolutely one hundred percent. Exactly, and oddly, uh, Eddie Murphy would go on to make uh, Eddie Murphy movies. Which uh, how to about me, it? <laughs> which to me, because he's got a bit of an Elvis uh, strangeness to him. Eddie Murphy does. If you've read some of the stories about him, a little bit. Yeah, and uh, you know his uh, wanting to get into rubber makeup is uh, some type of Eddie Murphy thing that I'll never understand. He loves doing it, though, and he's doing it again. Coming to America, the sequel is coming, and I've seen some pictures from the set, and uh, yeah, he's got old man makeup on again. He's got this mm. on. Is Rick Baker coming out of retirement for that? I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not for that. <laughs> yeah. So is it going to be like a Norbit suit? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, certain actors, I don't know what it is. They they got this thing, and they find something that works, and it's a hit. And they never let it go. And when I think of that, I think of like Eddie Murphy and the Nutty Professor, which I know was a profound hit. People loved it. I find it to be a grating movie at the very least. I watched it once. I would never watch it again. But to each their own. You know, if people like watching Eddie Murphy in a fat suit or in numerous different costumes, I don't, I don't find Coming to America very funny either. I find it very cheesy. I don't find it very funny. Um... Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But the, the but he is you are right. This is what the Elvis movies if I can think of one stereotypical Elvis movie, this is as about as stereotypical as it gets. And being that it's most it's his most popular film, it kind of really kind of cemented the formula for Elvis movies. Mm-hmm. Now there was there was films before this that were very much them looking for the formula and finding it. Um but I think this one hits all the the notes that they really wanted to hit with Elvis movies, uh, which was sell records, uh, give him a sexy star, make her a star in the process. Not that she wasn't. I think she was already on her way um, with some stuff, but this certainly elevated her. Well, it feels it feels like they try to make Anne Margaret equal to Elvis in some ways, mm-hmm. and, a, and a, in a lot of ways she is. I mean, she has her own appeal just on the opposite end, right? Yeah. She brings what she does. She brings what she does best to the film, same as Elvis. Yeah, she they're did, just uh, they're just wildly different things. Yeah, she did. So there's there's kind of something for everyone, right? And that's and that's why you get like the big the big talent contest with only two contestants. Yeah, the Bye Bye Birdie film that she made her a star was right before this. Right, yeah. It was like, I think, a year before this, right? Yeah, so essentially this is the, you know, this movie is what she does next. So, you know, obviously you're, at that point, you're trying to, you know, kind of capitalize on that. I I thought, for some strange reason, I thought she had passed away, but she's still alive. No, she's still alive, yeah. Yeah, She's got a movie coming out. Good for her. Never Too Late, it's called. I think she was just on, uh, oh, what the fuck was it? Happy. Yeah, that's it. That TV show. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Mark Millar, is it Mark Millar comic? Uh, that was Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow, how did I get those mixed up? I don't know. I don't know. Happens sometimes. But she's, I mean, she still works pretty regularly. I mean, it's not, you know, there's not a whole lot of great stuff in there, but in the 70s. No, but she's staying, she's staying busy. Yeah, in the mm-hmm. 70s, she did some good stuff. Oh, yeah. She really did. And she she uh, continues to work, which, bravo. 
Um, yeah, I don't really have a, a whole lot. I mean, this is a tough one for me to talk about because this one is as basic as it gets. It's basically Elvis sex show and Margaret sex show. Yeah, uh, yeah. Secondary sexy actor, Caesar smoking cigarettes. Um, I will say the director, George Sidney, he did a few popular things. Did Showboat, did Bye Bye Birdie. So there might be there. There's the tie I think with Viva Las Vegas, and probably how he uh, he probably maybe landed Anne Margaret, but she evidently Elvis landed Anne Margaret a little bit too. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he did a few things. Uh, looks like he goes way back into the 30s. But Showboat, I know. Bye Bye Birdie, I know. I'm trying to look at some of these other things. I don't really. No, some oh Scaramouche. Scaramouche? Is that how you say it? Scaramouche? Uh, I think it's Scaramouche. Scaramouche. Yes. And he's another one that worked on some uh, some R gang stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So again, these these filmmakers that kind of worked through it. But uh yeah, the story is almost non existent in this thing. So this is Oh yeah. This was really this is but this is a good example. We talked about the Elvis cheese and then we talked about Elvis movies and this to me, this is the Elvis movie. This this one and probably like Blue Hawaii are the two that I find to be the most Elvis of Elvis movies. Mm-hmm. And I think they're back to back, if I'm not mistaken. I think Blue Hawaii was right before this. So I think they found the formula and then they just wrote it into the ground as they tend to do in any entertainment source. And uh, that's what you got here. But what did you think on your revisit of uh, Viva Las Vegas? Oh, let me tell you something, man. Uh, so, uh, okay. So first things first. This is now two movies back to back that uh, open up with helicopter shots, but they're wildly different. Yes. <laughs> um, here it's you know it's all flash because you're just you're just showcasing Vegas. You're doing your little travelogue thing. Um, of course, the lucky character wins the dough for the engine playing craps, uh, but loses it because of a dame. So he's lucky, but he's not really lucky. But you know. Um, Lucky enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, of course, he's also a damn good mechanic and racer. You know, there's this is a very, this is a very confident, even cocky character. Um, you know, but he it's is. still Elvis, and it's still charming. He's a superhero. He's uh he's Bruce sure. Wayne. He's he there's he he can do everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he can, <laughs> uh, and he does. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we'll take for example. You know, he, he runs into a bunch of rowdy Texans, right? Oh, but yeah. you know, don't worry, don't worry, because Elvis can ro- uh, rope ride and brand him, right? So yeah, and he does. He uh, he corrals, so to speak. I want to. Uh, I want to. Sorry, I want to jump in here and say that uh, Fun in Acapulco was the movie before this, not Blue Hawaii. Sorry. Ah, uh, see, you got your uh, yeah. Blue your Hawaii equatorial... actually. Oddly, Blue Hawaii was actually before Follow That Dream. Uh, was it? Yeah, nineteen sixty-one. So. Oh, geez. How about that? Damn. Uh, so, so yeah, this is this is a, like a cocky character for Elvis, but he's still charming. He's, like I said, he's, he's still Elvis, a hundred percent in this thing. Um, you know, you get uh, Anne Margaret's dancing is very, very incredibly hip '60s dance style with a lot of shaking, yes, um, a lot of shimmying uh, and a lot of uh, weird gesticulating uh, that just I never. Man, out of, out of all of the 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 dance uh, phases, uh, I guess I guess whatever eras, sixties um, always to me was just the fucking worst. Uh, okay. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I don't know whether it was just 
it was just it's just weird. It's just really fucking weird to me. Um, but that's my own personal picadillo. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think that the uh, the cinematography is very nice, uh, and the lighting and production design in this thing is like uh, you know it's kind of like a bag of skittles. Um, it's sort of you know as I was watching this thing, I, I kind of started to think that this is it looks a bit like um, a, a Robert Fust film uh, mixed with like a giallo in a lot of ways, and I don't know whether that was because of um, the setting, the Vegas setting, or if it was just, uh, just, you know, one of those things, you know, you did, did that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know whether it was, you know, intrinsic to the setting of the film, whether it was that way or whether it was, you know, an actual, an actual thing, but it looks great. Um, it looks as good as, uh, as it possibly can. Um, the, uh, so you get the rivalry slash friendship between Elvis and, uh, Count Elmo. Uh, but it's really, really light, right? There's no real tension to anything that they're doing. Uh, and, you know, the Count Elmo character, he's kind of like the Margaret Dumont uh, to Elvis's Groucho Marx in a lot of ways throughout the film. He just kind of, like, takes the shit that Elvis throws at him mm-hmm. and doesn't really have, like, much of a response to it because he's always just trying to lure Elvis in to, uh, to drive for him and stuff like that. Um uh, I mean, the, most of the stuff we've already we've already gone over. But they, okay, so yeah, but then they they finish off with the big race, right? Which hasn't been on the film's mind since practically the beginning of, the beginning of the movie. Uh, like you said, you know, it just kind of it goes one way and then just completely diverges. They forget about the the race car, the motor, all of this shit for a good chunk of time, and then <laughs> yeah. they just bring it back in. It really uh, is just, a book just to finish up the film. Yeah, it really is bookends, right? Oh, it, it absolutely is. I mean, it, it, but I'll say this about that. Um, the race scene is actually pretty nicely put together. I mean, it's yeah. not it's not yeah. like George Miller material. No. <laughs> uh, but it's not bad. And there's some pretty nasty-looking crashes in that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, it, it ends so abruptly, the film does, after all this is done, it, it, it ends so abruptly that William Damaris is, is literally cut off mid-sentence before they roll the end credits. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it builds to a climax. It yeah, bit. it builds to a climax. It has the climatic racing scene, and literally, it ends. Yeah, it is bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Um, so got, you know, so I, he got fifty percent of the profits on this movie. So a lot of his deals, I'm looking through filmography here. A lot of his deals was like five hundred grand to make the movie, and then fifty percent of the profits. So he made a chunk of change on these movies. Damn, that's I, nice. I bet the colonel made quite a bit too, though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I, I know, I know that I rag a lot on like the fluffier or kitschy stuff, or even like the shittier elements uh, of these these things. But you know, the film, this film, and the one before it, obviously, they they do exactly what it advertises, right? Mm-hmm. It gives you a little bit of Elvis. Well, actually, it gives you a lot of Elvis. It gives you a little bit of spank bank spank bank material, uh, and it gives you, and especially this one, gives you a story so simple. That the film doesn't even have to pay it any regard for like half of the runtime. Yeah. Um, and I, I got to say, I think that this one is a little bit more enjoyable uh, than Follow That Dream, only because of it is. It is. It, only because of it's a little shorter. Yes. So it, you know, you're willing to forgive it a little bit more because it, it moves by a little bit faster. Well, it's that, but it's also, I think, the Elvis formula. I think that it's kind of whether we want to admit it or not. I think it's more fun to watch the Elvis formula at work 
than it is to watch the actual when they tried to make films with Elvis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that there isn't some good stuff in there. There is, but I don't know. If you told me I could watch Viva Las Vegas or follow that dream, I'd probably watch Viva Las Vegas every time. Uh, I would tend to agree with that. Although, given the the choice choice, uh, I would probably go with Charles first and foremost. I think that's my favorite Elvis movie. Yeah, yeah. Granted, I haven't seen all of them. I like so. I like Kid Galahad quite a bit, but that's the Bronson aspect, and then of course it's a boxing movie. So sure, sure, that. sure. I, I do. Uh, I will not lie. I do like the Hawaiian films quite a bit, uh, but that's just because there's something about Elvis and Hawaii. Just something about those two things kind of goes together, like uh, peanut yeah. butter and chocolate to me. Like peanut butter and banana spine. <laughs> the gentleman has a <laughs> pubic hair and uh... <laughs> I fucking love it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's yeah, that's pretty much all I got on uh, on Viva Las Vegas. So man. really, there's, there's really not there's really not a hell of a lot. To, so that's the thing. Bring up yeah, almost man. in a way, doing this show was almost kind of like a. So you, you do 400 and something episodes of a podcast talking about movies. In some ways, it's kind of fun to do these these shows, these one offs every now and then because it's almost like a challenge. Uh, I wondered if we could even go an hour and a half on Elvis movies, and it looks like uh, looks like we're going to go about that. Yeah, we know we went over. We went over an hour and a half. So we got to manage to get quite a bit in. But, I mean, it's tough because I think that I think that there's no more entertaining, entertainingly made movies, I mm-hmm. think, than musicals. I think they're made for the, the sheer entertainment of them. They're both a concert and a film and an experience altogether. Uh, and some people, that just doesn't compute. But when it comes to, I think, Elvis and... Uh, some of these other actors that were these these phenomenons, I think it's kind of fun to go back and look at them occasionally. Because I don't I don't know if this will ever I don't know if they'll ever come up again. I, I guess they've tried every now and then with a pop star or something, but I don't know. I don't really feel they like they do. It's... But I mean, let's let's be honest. Nobody's Elvis. Yeah. Nobody modern, especially, is Elvis. No, no. Just, it just ain't happening, man. It ain't happening. That's right. And, you know, I often wonder if he would have lived longer. Of course, he'd probably be dead now by old age. But I often wonder if he'd have lived longer, if he'd have just disappeared into the ether, kind of like, well, like the rest of the Beatles did. I mean, you know, Paul McCartney's still alive, but nobody makes a big deal about him anymore. Right. And, you know, the the pop music is, uh, it's a moment in time. Pop culture, a phenomenon like Elvis Presley. But I think about Elvis, I think the reason why he endures is because, unfortunately, he did pass away, tragically. Not as young as like a Jim Morrison or a Janis Joplin or a Jimi Hendrix, but certainly young enough that it felt like, you know, the world had lost something, whether you like him or not. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, okay, um, MVT. Wow, this is, uh, again, it could be Presley, but I, I'll go with Presley and, and Margaret. That's a bit of a cheat, I know, doing double duty, but, I mean, it is their movie. And it's fun to watch them together. They, you can tell that uh, supposedly they were dating before the movie started and then they broke it off when they started shooting. But you can tell, I, I feel like you can tell something's going on there. Like there's some, uh, you know, some real, you know. <laughs> heat? Yeah, there's some heat going, oh, gentlemen. You know, there's some of that stuff <laughs> going on there. <laughs> the gentleman. I can't do it. <laughs> gentleman's all wet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, and that kid that throws the money in the pool filter. What a what a little punk that kid is. Yeah, that little motherfucker. <laughs> doesn't, he just, know, oh. <laughs> doesn't he know what money is? Oh, anyway. Um, make or break scene. I'm going to go with that pool scene. I like it quite a bit. As much as I make fun of Ann Margaret's kind of singing in it and stuff, I like the kind of back and forth about it. Um, the courting of the whole thing, so to speak. There mm-hmm. is a, I think the, the key to this movie isn't just the Elvisness of this movie, but also the chemistry between Margaret and Presley, because not all of his leading ladies or co-stars did he have the same type of chemistry with. It feels like he, again, there feels like there's this inside joke between the two of them. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen you naked. You've seen me naked. We know what's going on here. It feels like, you know, there's a, a shorthand with the two of them and it really works. Uh, and again, they're two sex symbols. You put them together and sometimes that works like fire, but sometimes it backfires. And I think in this one, it works though. Uh, and my score for this movie is probably about as high as I could ever go for any Elvis movie. And that would probably be a seven out of 10. I might be able to go a little higher on some stuff if I go back and revisit, but I think seven out of 10 is about as high as I could probably go on any given Elvis film. Uh, I would tend to, yeah, I would tend to agree with that, uh, that assessment. Um, Okay, so MVT, uh, yeah, it's Elvis and Aunt Margaret, absolutely. Um, they pair up really nicely, though me personally, I tend to lean more towards Aunt Margaret, obviously. Um, but regardless, uh, yeah, they would uh, they would be the, the whole reason that this, uh, this shebang is happening. Make or Break for me was the big race. Uh, I think it is as invested in this movie as it's possible for you to get. Uh, it is certainly as invested in this movie as this movie ever is willing to get. Um, that's why they stuck it at the end. Uh, and score for me, I'm a little bit lower than you, but it, it's where we, you and me tend to be, are, are tending to be uh, within uh, half a yeah. half a point of each other today. Uh, so yeah, it's six point five out of ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I could definitely see myself going a little bit higher on certain Elvis movies, uh, but this is uh, this is about upper tier uh for uh for my money um and it's good it, it's fun and it uh, yeah it is uh it's turn your brain off stuff mm-hmm. um and uh you know that's what it's good for and that's what it does well and it, it does it as well as it uh, as it's possible to do um so yeah that's uh that's my thoughts on that one nice Okay, that is our thoughts. I almost gave my reviews and everything again. I almost gave my <laughs> That's how lost I am. Yeah. The gentleman has. <laughs> uh, if anybody will take anything away from this podcast this week, I hope it's my impersonation of Ann Margaret singing. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and the thought of you shaking a chimp's hand in white cotton panties. Uh, yeah, that happens quite often. <laughs> happens more often than I'd like to admit. It's really scarred the children at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if it's the panties or the chimp. Yeah, right. <laughs> Might be the chimp in the panties. Oh, hi all. Yeah, what a chump. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, that is the big show. So next week we already know what we're doing. Uh, I believe we're doing. Uh, was it ninety five in the shade? Ninety two in the shade. I always keep saying ninety five in the shade because I'm. <laughs> You know, down here in the hot, humid You're south. It's a little warmer down there. <laughs> 92 feels like 95. 92 in the shade. Uh, Peter Fonda, Warren Oates, Harry Dean Stanton, some pretty yep. uh, famous actors there. Uh, I think we'll program the show because he, yes. he was out this week, but he's coming back next week. 
Uh, I think obviously he was going for a Fonda joint because uh, Peter just passed away. That's a weird thing to say, Fonda joint. But he Fonda just passed away recently. Um, never really kind of got the. Uh, uh, I don't know if he ever really got the apropos he kind of deserves sometimes as an actor. So we'll talk about it. Um, and we're also doing the case of the Bloody Iris, right? Then uh, yes, and that's the top, for George Hilton. Yes, that's for George Hilton, who also recently passed away. So yes. we're losing them all. Unfortunately, life is like that. It, it's it's limited. Yep, yep. The health meter in your video game that is life will deplete, <laughs> and you can do everything you can to fight it. But let me give you let me give you a little pro tip. It's still going to find a way. <laughs> <laughs> Not to end the show on a downer, but it'll find a way. Uh, maybe eating peanut butter and banana and bacon sandwiches every day won't help. But uh, supposedly it, one, it won't hurt. Yeah, supposedly one of his favorite things to eat was this thing called a king's roll or something like that, okay. where it was like a sourdough bread roll, and then you filled it with peanut butter and jelly, and like the whole thing had like I don't know, so many grams of fat it was unbelievable, like over a thousand <laughs> grams. Of fat. And he would eat these things like two or three a day. God damn! So, <laughs> I mean, you know, he's an you know excessive personality. So, you know, that, that that's what tends to happen. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I have a bit of that. I have a, I, I've often wondered in some ways if, if, if it's something psychological, but food is certainly my drug of choice. Right. And uh, I'll eat things that I know are completely bad for me, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's what I enjoy doing. So, well, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. I mean, it's kind of like when I, when we were talking about uh, Panic in Needle Park a, a few weeks ago. Or yes. a week ago, yes. whenever the hell it was. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to be that way too. I tend to, you know, want to stick things in my mouth because, uh, man, I love the taste of shit, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, a really good day for me is a, a pint of ice cream and a film on, uh, and those two things together, it's like heaven. Now I want to go out and get a pint of ice cream. <laughs> yeah. But I'm a, you know, I'll, I'm a full-blown fast food junkie. I'm a full-blown, I mean, I love all that stuff, so... I'm always envious of folks who find it repulsive because if I could find it repulsive, <laughs> then I probably wouldn't, you know, I probably wouldn't be as heavy as I am, you know? But, sure, sure. But unfortunately, I don't find it repulsive. I find it enticing. Yeah. <laughs> See a big greasy burger come across the screen? I'm like, ooh. Ooh. Do you go, oh, Simon, man, I want to have a, oh, stick that in my butt and pile. I say, the hamburger is uh, juicy wet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a greasy spoon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> be humming that all day long <laughs> but that's what we're doing next week so uh we look forward to covering those films and uh i guess all that's left to say is adios adios she loves me not she loves me she loves me not she loves me she loves me she loves me yeah the lady loves me, and it shows In spite of the way she turns up her nose I'm her ideal, her heart's desire Under that eye she's burning like fire She'd like to cuddle up to me She's playing hard to get The lady loves me But she doesn't know it yet
got a crush on me The lady's dying to be kissed But she doesn't know it yet She's falling fast She's on the skids Tonight she'll hold me In her arms Will someone tell this Romeo I'm not his Juliet The lady loves me But she doesn't know it yet She wants me Needs me Anyone can see she's got it bad I'm simply aware I'm hard to resist about having dinner at eight I'd rather dine with a Frankenstein in a moment uh, The lady loves me uh, but she doesn't know it yet <laughs> <laughs>